Welcome to Forever White Belt. I'm your host, Adolfo Ferranda. Today on the show, we have Sophia Casella. Sophia is a brown belt under Jason Rao. She's an elite female jiu-jitsu competitor known for scoring the fastest submission in a women's match on who's number one at 35 seconds. She's won several titles and tournaments and is the current reigning Medusa champion as of this recording. Sophia has trained under some of the best teams, Silver Fox BJJ, Tom DeBlas, and John Danaher. She competes all over the nation as a professional grappler, all while being a college student as well. Sophia is the definition of brains, grit, and hard work. Just a reminder, please give us a five-star review on Apple Music and Spotify, and share this podcast with a friend. It really helps us out. Please leave us feedback and suggestions on how we can improve the show, and consider becoming a patron at anchor.fm forward slash Forever White Belt. Like us on Facebook and TikTok at Forever White Belt, and check us out on Instagram at Forever White Belt Show. Go buy your Forever White Belt swag at teespring.com forward slash forever dash white dash belt. If you ever get to beautiful Northern California, please come roll with us at North Bay Jiu-Jitsu in the city of Novato. There are amazing instructors and everyone there are great people. Mention the podcast and get two weeks free. And with that, I give you Sophia Casella. Sophia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, Sophia, you are a brown belt under Jason Rao, correct? Yes. Yeah, so Jason and his partner, Nick Ronan, they just opened up a gym in Lake Grove, New York, called Vanguard Academy. So that's where I've been for the past month. For those who don't know, can you give a little bit of background on who Jason Rao is? Yeah, so Jason Rao is a black belt under Matt Serra. He's a nogi specialist, and he competes in nogi. He's one of the best leg lockers in the world. He's really good. And he's my coach. And also, are you still a student at Montclair State University? I am. Yeah, I'm in my final semester right now. So I'm super excited to be graduating in a couple months. You were studying like physical therapy or what? I'm studying exercise science because I thought I wanted to to be a physical therapist. But after working at a couple of clinics, I'm like, no. Yeah. So why why is that? Um, What what turned you off about being a PT? I think that the work they do is really cool, but the physical therapist that I worked for, they were like, you know, it's a lot of work. The hours are insane. Like they would work like 12 hour shifts and then still have to bring like paperwork home and make phone calls at home. So it's just something that it's like, Mm. while it's an amazing career, it takes over your entire life. And I just don't think I would be able to be a professional grappler while also working at a clinic full time. Like, I just don't think that's possible. So right, right. It kind of turned me off to the whole idea of being a physical therapist. Are you uh, teaching at all jujitsu? Not at the moment, but my friend Mike Rockshawn is opening Immortals 2.0. So I'm going to be teaching there when he does that. Congrats. Yeah. That's fantastic. And you've yeah. taught before in the in the past, I know, correct? Yeah, I used to teach at his gym Immortals, the one he has now. But with the whole opening of Vanguard, like my training there and then teaching at Immortals just kind of it overlapped. So I was like, you know what, Mike, I think I'm going to take a break from teaching so I could train at Vanguard like all day because the drive Mm -hmm. is so crazy. Like if I'm going to train at Vanguard, I want to be there all day. And then when he opens his new gym, he'll have like a more full class schedule. So I could just like kind of pick and choose the classes that I want. And that's what I'll teach. You know, I've watched the progression of your game quite a bit here. And 
in the last 12 months, if not even less or whatever, it seems like you've been on quite a upward trajectory in terms of just your development has really seemed to kick into gear. It's really interesting to see. I know in the past you said it just kind of happened, but come on, it couldn't have just kind of happened. You know, I'm really impressed with your strength training as of late and your wrestling as of late training as well. Some of the clips I've seen on IG, I think that's going to hugely benefit your game if it hasn't already. Your thoughts on my comment? I think that obviously training consistently, like I train every day, that's obviously helping me get better every day. But I also just have like a lot of really, really good training partners. Like all of my training partners from like blue belt to black belt are all like extremely technical and they roll appropriately. So like, I don't roll with anyone that just like muscles the out of me and smashes me with strength. Like everybody's very technical. So I just get like a lot of really good roles in. And then obviously I've been training with Jason Rao for like a year and a half now. So most of my jiu-jitsu instruction comes from him. So he's obviously really good and really well-rounded. So just learning from him, like such a great coach has been super helpful. And then I just started wrestling. So that part of my game, you should start to see to develop over the next like couple of months as I compete in the Nogi Pans and Worlds. And then obviously strength training, like I'm trying to put on some weight and some muscles. So I can actually do a better job against like the girls at 125 and 132. You're even looking at 132. Interesting. Yeah. Cause that's like for trials. It's amazing though. Cause you've traditionally been at 115 around that. That seems to be your ideal range. Yeah. Like they're at 115. It's like, if you want to do ADCC, you kind of have to be like around 130. And then if you want to do like one championship, they got rid of their 115 Mm. pound division. So now it's just 125. So it's like, is there really even a point at competing at 115 anymore? Like, where are you going to go from there? Like, you're going to stick with IBJJF. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to make money. What's your strength training look like? Are you still lifting like twice a week and doing this electric capacity conditioning circuit stuff? Yeah. Since I've been out of camp for a while, like I haven't been Mm. competing for a while, we'll do like a lactic capacity circuits, which are much easier because like you do a specific exercise, like to the point of feeling muscle burn and then you stop. Whereas lactic capacity, you do it for 30 seconds. So usually like it starts burning, like after like 10 seconds and you push through for another 20, like as hard as you can. Yeah. Camp's about to like get much more serious. Wow. My condolences. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) But have you noticed a difference? Like physically, you look different, right? And is it feeling different? Yeah. When I switch from a lactic to lactic capacity, like I think that my conditioning gets a lot better and I feel like my lactic like threshold is pushed back further so I can like go harder for a longer period of time before my muscles start to get tired. And then that's just, that's like really important for like when I'm in competition because you don't want to like burn out and then lose because you're tired. You want to make sure you can go hard for the full duration of the match. So what are you doing for recovery then? What's your recovery days? And do you have any special modalities for recovery? Or looks like you have an inversion table next to you for the people. I listening. do have an inversion table next to me. I don't use it too often. Mine is in the garage almost collecting yeah, dust. Yeah, mine's just sitting there. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I stretch after every jiu-jitsu class, after every lift. I do mobility before all my workouts and all my training sessions. I make sure I get enough sleep. I make sure I eat enough calories. Like, I don't really do anything like too specific. I kind of just do that. And then if my body's like screaming for a rest day, I'll take a rest day. Like so big deal. Like I'd rather have a day off than push myself too hard and then like get sick or get injured. And then I'm out for longer. So just kind of listen to my body. I would assume that you would learn quite a bit of this in your education, right? In terms of like a 360 approach to health and everything. Are you coming up with this sort of regimen? Are you working with your coaches to develop this? My training regimen, I just kind of come up with on my own. I just kind of like train where I want on whatever day, do as much as I want on whatever day. And then if I feel like I need to cut back a little bit, I'll cut back. If I want to do more, I'll do more. Like I just kind of go by how I feel. 
in terms of off the mat kind of stuff? Are you studying much? I know you're not much of like an instructional type of watcher, but are you watching film on yourself or what are you doing? So I actually just started recording my own training like two weeks ago. And I've been like studying back that footage. Like I'll rewatch all the footage, try to figure out like what I was doing wrong, what my partner did. Super interesting. Yeah, it's super interesting. And then like, I'll send all the videos to my coaches. Like I'll send the jujitsu videos to my jujitsu coach. I'll clip like the wrestling portions of the jujitsu matches out and I'll send it to my wrestling coach. So then they just kind of tell me like, this is what went wrong. This is what went wrong. So that's been super helpful. What do you feel is like a strength of your game? For me, it seems like it's the leg entanglement and entries and in your transition, leg transitions. And I'm curious, where would you like to shore up things and improve upon? I definitely think that like my biggest strength is like my ability to like finish submissions. Like I feel like Mm -hmm. if I get to something, the odds of me finishing it are going to be like pretty high. With regards to like my last couple matches, I definitely would like to see some improvements in my like passing, like Mm. regarding my top game, like my passing. I think that sometimes I'll like put the pressure on, put the pressure on and then just like get frustrated if I'm not passing right away and kind of just let up and then go back in again. And I think that's Mm. like a pretty big mistake. Like I think I should just keep putting the pressure on people like side to side, that kind of thing. And then like for my bottom game, like what I've noticed when I get passed is that I just like, especially in the beginning of the year, like, at, like when I look at like my trials match or I'm one of my matches, like in finishers, like my finals match, like I was just not framing properly. Mm. So in my next couple of matches, I would like to see like, like improvements in my guard retention. And then also like going from guard retention straight to offense, like sweep running legs or something. Like, I don't want to just be like laying on my back, swinging my legs around, like waiting for the person to engage with me. I want to go straight from like defense to offense going back to your teaching time do you enjoy teaching um sometimes it's Mm. kind of stressful i'm not like big on public speaking i don't Mm. know yeah so were you teaching adults kids both i I was teaching adults yeah Mm. i have like no experience teaching kids i would Mm. like to give it a shot though like i think it could be cool to like see younger generation what do you think uh makes a great student somebody who shows up consistently asks a lot of questions tries their best like they don't just like quit in the middle of training or in the middle of a role because something isn't like going their way just someone who shows up with like a good attitude and no ego just really just cares about getting better you prefer a um sub only format correct um i I don't know i like both but you're not really uh, ibjjf that's not your thing just in terms of monetary pursuits correct Yeah, I definitely try to compete. Like, I don't like travel for IBJJF unless it's like a big one. Like, I would rather just travel for the tournaments where I could possibly win some money because then I like pays back my trip. I just don't think it makes sense to like travel for a random IBJJF open and like spend all that money for like two matches. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I'm hearing more professional athletes say that. And it makes me wonder like where the, in terms of priority and prestige, where IBJJF events are kind of falling into the hierarchy now. Because it seems to be dropping off quite a bit. I mean, I feel like we all still compete in the IBJJF. We just wait for like the big ones or the ones that are close to home. Because it's definitely still like a prestigious event and they it's still well run. They still have a lot of really great competitors in it that maybe some of them are more IBJJF. Uh, they favor it more. So they won't do like the cash comps that like I like to do. So it's like, if I want to fight them, I have to go into their rule set, which is like Mm -hmm. fine for me. It's just going to make me better learning to fight with the IBJJF rules. 
That makes me wonder, and give me your thoughts on this too, if we need like a two different tracks, like an amateur track and a professional track. Because it seems like oftentimes at local tournaments, obviously you get like the local plumber and that kind of thing who's not doing this full time and just going a couple of days a week or something to train at a lot of IBJJF stuff. It can be like that too, depending on the event versus paid events and invitationals. Obviously it's going to, it's a whole different game, right? I mean, I don't know. I feel like some of the invitationals I've done, especially as like 115 pound girl sometimes you'll Mm. just get some blue belt or purple belt who's like maybe not like a hobbyist but they don't compete in the professional level because they're like a blue belt or a purple belt like they just kind of compete on the local scene and like this is like their big opportunity to fight somebody who maybe does compete on the professional level but like Mm. if that's something they're striving towards like why not like give it a shot you know yeah do you do like tune-ups and things like that at local tournaments or anything like that ever Um, I used to, but I don't really have any interest in doing it now. Uh, I kind of think that I should compete less and train more because I feel like when I'm competing back to back to back to back weekends, like it's kind of hard for me to be in the gym, like improving and getting ready for the next event because I'm just like always competing. And yeah, like I definitely think that taking breaks is something I should do more often so Mm. that I can like prepare more and then show up more ready for like the big things. So your thoughts on professional, what we would consider professional high name BJJ competitors showing up to local tournaments and demolishing local talent? I don't know. I feel like that's such a waste of time. Like I would never do that. Like I don't really need like a random experience like that to feed my ego. Like, I don't know. Traditional warmups. Are they uh, bulls or not? Like running around. Running in circles, shrimping up and down the mats. I mean, I don't think, I think that stripping up and down the mats is like kind of silly because it's like not really comparable to how you would do like a shrimp in a match. But I definitely think you should warm up. And if like being forced to run around the room is the only way to get you to like warm up your body, then you should just like do it. Especially like most hobbyists who are like, they work like a full-time job. They just show up at night. Like this is their workout. Like they definitely need to warm up. You can't just like go from sitting at a desk all day to like, no, absolutely that's insane. Yeah, no way. You have no to way. warm up. Right. So if like people aren't going to warm themselves up, then they should be forced to run around the room. Like you have what, to do something. What, what would your ideal warm ups look like? Uh, I usually just do mobility work like on my own. Cause Jason doesn't like warm us up like in the advanced class. He just says like, do whatever you want. Cause mm-hmm. like we're adults and we're professionals. So we just, we warm ourselves up. Yeah. So you're not doing forward rolls, backward rolls, jumping jacks, squats. Nope. Jumping squats. Nope. Trying to think of other stuff. Uh, <laughs> nope. Just mobility. Do you think we need to redefine the belt system? Your thoughts on that? Like, uh, or do you think it's okay as it is? I mean, yeah, I think it's fine. I definitely think that we should be seeing more juvenile purple belts over the next couple of years because kids that start training when they're like four, five, six, seven, by the time they're 15 or 16, it's time for a blue belt. They are so far past the level of blue belt. It's like very unfair. Because like you think about it, even like purple belt, like say like someone like a kid's been training since they were like four, five, six, seven, and then they're like 16, they get their purple belt. It's like almost 10 years of training. And like most mm-hmm. adult purple belts, they get their purple belt after like three, four, maybe five years. It's right. like really not fair. Right. So, yeah. it, so it kind of doesn't make sense, right? I mean, it, when you it look like at someone like- It doesn't a- make sense, but you also can't give like a, like, I don't know. I don't think like a 16 year old should like have a black belt either. I don't know why I think that. I think that's just like, cause that's how it is, but maybe they should. I don't know. So I that's what it makes that. you wonder. Should there be like a junior black belt type yeah, of thing? Yeah, should there, you know what I mean? maybe. 
Yeah, but there definitely should be more, like, I definitely think there should be more juvenile purple belts because a lot of these kids are, like, way too good to be blue belts. Like, they should just skip right over it. Right. I remember when Kalabate was a blue belt, right? Oh, my God. And now he's a purple belt, and he's, like, 17. <laughs> he's going into ADCC in two weeks. Yeah, like, right. He's probably going to medal, like, for sure. He's so good. Yeah. I kind of uh, talked myself you... into believing that maybe it should change. <laughs> so your thoughts on belt testing? Uh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, I used to belt test when I was a kid and I always thought like it was fun, but I look back and I'm like, that's like really dumb. I should be given a stripe or a belt when my professor thinks that I deserve it, not just because I paid $20 to do like a test. Like, I think it's just like a way for like gyms that are like not very good to like make extra money. And I just think (laughs) that's kind of shady. It seems to be like a dying practice for sure. I did a poll once on a couple different really big groups and the vast majority of academies don't. It just doesn't make sense. Like you get it when you deserve it, not when you hand the professor 20 bucks to do a belt test and they put a piece of tape on your belt. You just had an online seminar. How'd that go? It was good. Like I had a decent amount of people show up. It was kind of weird though. It kind of reminded me of a college Zoom class where everyone had their cameras off and they were muted and they were just like watching me teach and watching me drill the move over and over again. And they would communicate with me through the chat. And it was kind Uh, of weird. Conceptually, it reminded me of the pandemic, you know, when we were all locked down and instructors were doing that. And I'm like, this this is kind of weird. That's exactly what it was like. It was kind of weird. And then people were just like taking notes. And I was like, Hmm. okay, well, as long as you feel like you're getting something out of it, that's all that matters to me. What did you teach? I showed my favorite armbar attacks from the EBI overtime position, like how I like to transition to triangles and stuff. Do you like uh, EBI rule set? Not really, because I feel like it doesn't show who the better grappler is. I do like, like, it doesn't go to judge decision. Like, I like that it forces a winner, but I just don't think that, like, it shows who the better grappler is because you have a 10-minute match with somebody, and then all of a sudden they get to start on an armbar or on your back. Mm -hmm. It's like, if they Mm -hmm. never got there in the match, like, they didn't earn it. Like, they don't Mm -hmm. deserve it. And then it's like, you can dominate someone for 10 minutes and then just, like, not be as good at overtime and lose. So I kind of don't like that. And then like also training for EBI overtime, like doing EBI rounds every day is just like such a pain, (laughs) but they always pay. Yeah. And then the events are like always fun. They're always well run. I think that you always have like a really good mix of different level competitors. Like you get to fight higher belts, lower belts, like people that are ranked, unranked, like you get like a really good mix of like competitors in a given bracket. So it's definitely like good experience. I just don't love the rule set like too much, but it's always a good time. What's a rule set you prefer? I mean, I kind of like sub only your decision, like who's number one rules. And mm. then I like ADCC rules. ADCC rules keeps it interesting. It's like impossible to score though. I like that it's half sub only half points. Give me your thoughts on the Gordon and uh, Pena match. It made me like really sad when he just like quit. I was so into it. I was so into the match oh, of it. God. I was like, what just happened? Like he just like stopped. Like what just happened? I mean, I assumed that Gordon was going to win at some point, but I thought he was going to get like an actual submission. Like it looked like Penna just quit. And I kind of think if Penna felt like the way he did, like he was like really upset about Leandro's passing. Like I wish that they had postponed it for another time so that he would have like come into the match as like his best self. That's mm-hmm. I would have liked to see that. So hopefully they have a rematch soon. Can you tell me time that you ever wanted to quit? 
I feel like jujitsu, some gyms are like pretty toxic. Mm. And there have been times where I was like so fed up with a gym that mm. I just like wanted to quit jujitsu as a whole because I didn't know like where else to go. And it was yeah. just like so bad for my mental health. And this is like more when I was like a kid or a teenager. And my mom is like, you cannot quit. You work way too hard. You put too much effort into this. You're good. We could just find another gym. Like You can't quit though. That was like the only time I could think of is just like being stuck in a toxic environment and not knowing how to get out of it. What was like uh, the worst injury? I've had like actually a couple of injuries. When I was a teenager, I hurt my back twice and Mm -hmm. I had really bad sciatica for six months and I couldn't like, I could move, but I couldn't like move well. I couldn't sleep or sit or lay down or stand comfortably. Like I just had this incessant burning and tingling like down my leg. And there was just no position that I could put my body in that would make it like that would relieve the pain. So that was like Mm -hmm. terrible. And that was like a very long six months in physical therapy. And that was actually when I was like 17. So that was just that really sucked. And then when I was 18, I tore my meniscus. And that was like another horrible six month recovery, like six months in PT that took me out of to like competing for like eight months, like no surgery, like no surgery, just like hobbling around with a knee brace, like just sitting on the side of the mat, watching training every day. That really sucked. Mm. They both sucked. I don't know which one was worse. Probably the back thing. God, that sciatica. How'd you resolve that then? Physical therapy. So my physical therapist thought that my sciatica was caused by me having too much of an arch in my lower back. And she said that that was putting pressure on the sciatic nerve. So what we did was strengthen my core so that I would have better posture. Obviously, like when you first start physical therapy, you don't do as many exercises. But like once I was like really into it, it was like a three hour core workout. Like it was insane. It was so hard. And I did it every single day for months and it worked. But that was like really, really rough. Improving your mobility and recovery will only benefit your BJJ. And as such, we highly recommend you try Yoga for BJJ at yogaforbjj.net. Use our code FWB, all uppercase FWB to get 20% off your subscription, yogaforbjj.net. Can you tell me about your worst day in jujitsu? Probably like the moments where I like got injured and I'm just like sitting there frozen, like, oh my God, I'm injured. <laughs> like this is he the knew. end of my career and also the world. Mm-hmm. And then like, that's always like the worst. You're just like, you get injured, you feel it. And you're like, oh my God, my life is over. <laughs> and then like six <laughs> months later, you're fine. But in the moment you're just like, <gasps> that sucks. Oh my God. yeah. <laughs> Would you go watch when you couldn't train? Would you like just go watch class or anything like that? Or Yeah. So when I hurt my knee, that was actually when I was training with John Danaher in the basement. And it was like also over the summer. So I would just basically hobble to the train and then hobble from the train to the gym and just sit at the gym all day, watch the two sessions go on. And then I just go home and go to the gym, do my physical therapy. That was like my life for that whole summer. I actually learned a lot during that time. And when I was able to get back to training, I actually was like much better. Isn't that interesting? You can just watch and learn just by the osmosis in a way or and you get yeah, ideas. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. What was your best BJJ related day? Probably either the day that I won finishers 115 or the day I won my who's number one match. Those were two like really, really good days in my book. 
or the day that I won Medusa. I don't know. I was just like so happy. I think maybe it was the day that I won finishers because it was also the day that I got ranked and I mm. beat my first. I think I, that was the first black belt I ever beat. And I just, I worked so hard for that belt and I was so happy when I won. Like, I like, that was the only time I've ever like screamed after winning. Like, that was a really good day. I still look at that day and I'm like, damn, that was a good day. I do see you as someone with a bunch of laser dots on your forehead now. A lot of women gunning for you. Do you get that sense as well? Yeah, I do. I don't know why, though. Like, there's like nothing has happened to make me think that. I just feel like that's probably a thing. I don't know. When you go into tournaments, are you going in with strategies? No, I don't really game plan because I feel like, well, first, I like don't like to watch my opponents compete because when I watch them and I see that they're good at something, I kind of hesitate more when I compete against them. And then I'll like try to like change my game so that I don't run into those things. And I just feel like that's not a good idea. Like, I think that I should just go in there and not worry about what they're going to do. Just go out there and like impose my game on them and trust that I have the skills to be able to deal with whatever they throw at me. So I don't like to do game plans because I don't like to study my opponents. I like to just go out there and play jujitsu and follow the rules, play to the rules, do my best. You've been in so many different competitions for so long now. You've probably had an array of different type of coaching styles on the sidelines for yourself. How do you prefer your coaching to be done now during a competition? I definitely want Jason in my corner if he can be there, but I'm fine with like not having anyone in my corner. Like I've competed so many times without a coach. Like it doesn't really matter to me. I definitely need the person that's coaching me to be loud enough that I could hear them because I am very in my head when I compete and I can only hear myself think. So they really have to be like very loud to like break through that. Otherwise I like, I'm just doing my own thing, not listening to them at all. Cause I can't hear them. Uh, yeah. I definitely like when they tell me how much time is left, but if it's not Jason or like one of my close teammates that knows my game, I don't want them in my corner. Cause they're just going to say like something that doesn't make no, really. sense or like, they just don't know me. It's gotta be someone yeah. that knows me. So you're fine then just being on your own and competing. Yeah, I've done it so much. It's like not even a big deal. So what kind of advice would you give to those that haven't? Because uh, I, I get people giving me feedback. Oftentimes it's just uh, hobbyists and things like that. But this local tournament means the world to them and stuff. And they've done it so many times or whatever. And they just haven't won gold yet for whatever reason, right? And they're so down on it. And they just, just brings them down and down and down. What kind of advice would you give to people who haven't achieved any type of gold yet, even on various levels? At that point, they should probably like look at their training and be like, am I training enough? Am I training? Am I getting like the right kind of training? Like, do I have people that push me that I can have competitive roles with? Do I have people that I'm a little bit better than that I can work things on? Do I have a supportive coach that will help me with questions or that'll be there for me at the event? Like just, I guess, to make sure that they're training the right way and training enough. And then also make sure that they understand the rules. Like, are they reading the rules? Are they following the rules? Like, are they making technical errors or tactical errors? And also just like, you know, be consistent, like keep trying, like you're not going to win everything. Like I literally have lost my last four matches. I haven't won anything since March. Like just keep trying. You just keep putting yourself out there. Eventually you'll win something. Yeah. Each time it's, it's such a learning lesson, right? Yeah. I learned so much from my wins and my losses, but more so my losses. Who is the talent now that you admire that's out there right now? Who, who do you enjoy watching and who, who excites you? I really like to watch my friend Damian Anderson. He's been on the come up for a while. He's like really good. And he's always like been one of my closest friends and like one of my best training partners. So I love watching him compete. You can see him like getting better every single time he competes. It's like, it's like pretty crazy. 
And then he just got third at trials. So I'm like hoping to see him in this ADCC. I hope someone pulls out of 66 because I know he's the top reserve or something. Like, so oh, I hope wow. he gets in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Great. Can you tell us a little bit about your belt journey from white, blue? Just can you walk us through each one of those and sort of what you learn at each and your thoughts on each one? Yeah. So I was a white belt when I was 12 and I had that belt for probably like two months. And then I got my gray white belt and then I got my gray belt and then I got my gray black belt. And like throughout that whole time, I was just competing a lot, like all the time. And then eventually the kids pans rolled around and I competed in that in the gray belt division and I won. So then my coach gave me a yellow belt on the podium. And then I was a yellow belt for a while, just competing all the time still. And then I turned 15. It was the year of my 16th birthday. My coach gave me a blue belt. And at that time, I like stopped competing because I really didn't think I deserved it. I really <laughs> felt like I knew where my skill was at. I was like good enough to win kids divisions because I at the time was just pretty much a closed guard player, like just closed guard sweeps and closed guard submissions. And I was very confident in that game, but I knew it wasn't enough to help me win at the blue belt level. So I stopped competing and then I eventually left that gym I was at and went to a different gym. And then the coaches there, like I did privates every week and he helped me, like he taught me how to pass guard. He taught me how to do some takedowns. And then so the first time I ever competed at Blue Belt, um, it was the Nogi Pans. And I went out there and I won. I got silver in my weight class and then gold in the absolute. And I showcased like a whole different game. Like I passed guard. I wrestled. I wrestled up. I swept them. I like I played more open guard. Like I was just a completely different grappler by then. So I was like really happy with that. Like I finally like over the summer, like I worked so hard to like build up my game. So I had the confidence to go out there and perform as a blue belt. And then I was a blue belt for two and a half years. Then I got my purple belt. And then a couple months later, I ended up leaving the gym I was at and going to Henzo's to train with John Danaher because I felt like, like I just wanted to develop a more complete game. I wanted more training partners that were women. I wanted more training partners that were competitors. I wanted more training partners with like a similar mindset I wanted to do nogi every day so training with John I just it was just like a dream and I had the right life circumstances and the opportunity to make it happen so I just did it and then I was with him for a while that was when I realized that everything I knew about jiu-jitsu was just like completely ineffective because I went in that room and just got beat up by everybody and I couldn't hit a single move on anyone so after training there like I trained there consistently every day for a while and that was when my game really started to like develop and I learned like locks I learned how to retain my guard better and I learned like how to escape things so I was like good offensively and defensively and then COVID happened and <laughs> the guys moved to Puerto Rico and that was very sad so I ended up leaving Henzo's and that's when one of my friends who I used to know from Henzo's they hit me up and they're like Sophia where are you training now because I know you didn't go to Puerto Rico and I'm like oh I don't know where to go I don't know where to go so he's like oh well you should come to Sarah's because Jason Rao teaches. And I was like, Oh, Jason Rao is really good. Like I should definitely come out there. So to get to Henzo's, I had to take the train. So I didn't have a car. So then I got a car and then I started going to Sarah's, which is also out in Long Island. Cause that's where like Jason mm -hmm. Rao is. And then I was just like there for a while. And then I was also cross training at Gary Tonin Jiu Jitsu because the days that Sarah's had Nogi and the days that Gary Tonin Jiu Jitsu had Nogi were like opposites. So I could still do Jiu -Jitsu Nogi every day. So it was perfect. <laughs> And wow. then got my brown belt from Jason like six months ago. And here I am. Yeah. So how's it feel? That brown belt 
I mean, getting my brown belt was like the only promotion that I have ever been excited for. I like just felt like I was ready for it. I felt like I deserved it. I felt like I kind of got as good as I was going to get like as a pro belt. Like I felt like I just needed something to like push me to want to get better. And I was like, I got my brown belt and I was like, okay, like now I'm going to start like competing at a higher level. I get to do IBJJF with leg locks, which is good because that was like my whole guard is leg locks. (laughs) Cause the thing about being a pro belt is like every time I compete in a different event, like the rules are different for every event so I like Mm. I'm constantly having to change my game to prepare for the rules but now in brown belt I could do anything I want in any division any any event I do so Mm. I can kind of like keep the same game which is like nice it's like not changing it up every weekend it's not limited yeah yeah I don't have to limit myself in matches anymore it's like cool your advice to people in tournaments was saying, you know, know the rules and all that. Know the rules, read the rules. Yeah. I definitely make sure I read the rules and know the rules because I would hate to lose over something stupid. Like, oh, as a pro belt, like you can't go for like an ankle lock, but break it over the inside shoulder, like in IBJJF. Like that's like, Mm -hmm. you can do ankle locks, but you can't do them that way. So that's just like a stupid way to like lose a match. Like when you're literally submitting the person, it's like, well, you should have read the rules because that was like really stupid. Yeah, I just don't want something dumb like that to happen. Like, if I'm going to lose, I want it to be, like, a legit loss. It shows me something that I, like, really needed to, like, learn. Like, gives me a lesson that I really needed. Not like, oh, like, you should have just not been lazy. You should have read the rules. Like, no, I want to, like, be like, okay, this is where you messed up the technique or this is your technical error that you made. Like, this is something you need to work on. Sophia, your thoughts on the state of jujitsu right now? And uh, where do you see the future of jujitsu? How do you see it going? I definitely think that like with this ADCC that's coming up, Jiu-Jitsu is going to become more mainstream just because of like the production value of the event and then like how many people are going to be watching and then plus how many people are going to be watching like on flow. And then I just think like the athletes names are getting bigger and bigger. Like I know, I think that Gordon is starting to become like a mainstream athlete, like people that don't even train, like know who he is. They know his Instagram persona. Like I think a lot of people that don't train are going to be tuning in to like watch Gordon Mm -hmm. and then like maybe they'll start training. Like I just think that it's just becoming more mainstream and Mm -hmm. I you hope that it does because like the more mainstream it gets, like the more money we make eventually. Hey, hey, look at you. There's a <laughs> theme here. Yeah. Money. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it seem like the talent has just exploded as well? Across oh the yeah. Country? The talent level is definitely exploding, especially like with all these young people in their like late teens, early twenties that I've been training like for so long. Now they're finally competing at a world-class level and they're showing mm. that they're just as good as like legends that have been in the sport just as long, but mm-hmm. just started older. It's like really good for the sport. It's amazing because it's even at scale, right? At a global scale. It's not just the United States as younger. I mean, it's everywhere. Just yeah. the number of people that are starting jujitsu at such a young age and their talent is exploding now. We get that many just phenomenal athletes now coming in. So the level of competition is just insane. Yeah. So what's it like to be one of those players? Uh, I don't even <laughs> consider myself one of those players, actually. Um <laughs> But I'm flattered. (laughs) (laughs) You did 100 years ago training the gi. So I'm curious, how'd you learn to tie your belt? How did I learn to tie my belt? I feel like somebody, obviously my coaches, like my kids' coaches taught me how to tie my belt. But then like, I don't remember who showed me. Somebody showed me like a fancier way to tie your belt. Like where you feed the strand into like the top loop. And then you feed the other one through that and through the top loop. And then you pull it tight. And it's like not tied on the outside. It's like tied under the first loop. And it just looks neater. I don't remember who taught me how to do that. But that's how I like to do it. What do you got coming up? Doing Nogi Pans in six weeks. Uh, So that's October 14th to the 16th in Dallas. 
And then I have Medusa the weekend after that. I'm competing at the 135 pound division. I can't believe I was invited to that, but I was like, you know what? <laughs> it. <laughs> and then I have a nice long break until the Nogi Worlds, which is December 7th to 11th in California. If you don't mind me asking, and I know this is so faux pas, what are you weighing in at now? Uh, I'm 121. I woke up 121 this morning and I am bulking. So I've put on about six or seven pounds in the last couple of weeks. And I'm trying to get myself to walk around at like, like a lean and strong 123. Then I could compete at 125. And then I think that'll really help me when I compete at 135. It'll be much better than when I was 113 pounds, like three months ago. (laughs) That's such an interesting dilemma because obviously the most common route is everyone's cutting weight. Yeah. And here's me who's like struggling to be the right weight for the smallest weight class. And it's like, oh, well, now I have to move up two weight classes if I want to make money. (laughs) Well, Sophia, where can we get more information about you and everything that you're up to? Pretty much just my Instagram, Sophia Casella BJJ. All right, everyone. Thanks for watching again. This is Forever White Belt. I'm your host, Adolfo Fronda. You know the routine. Give us the five stars and everything and all the socials. Sophia, thank you so much for your time. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. See you guys next time.